0: CiderBox is a subscription box that delivers hard-to-find American ciders. And listeners of XXWillTravel can receive free shipping on their first order by using the code XXWillTravel. This applies to the TryBox option, too. So go to
1: CiderBox.com to find out more. And this is Kathy, and together we are XX, XX will Travel. We have a very special episode today. It's all about your 2017 travel goals. Because let's face it, 2016 sucked,
0: and we need to look to the future. It's true,
1: and in 2017, we're all going to try to get away, whether for a weekend. Or for eternity. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to stay hopeful. Trying to stay hopeful. But we asked some of our friends and listeners to send us their 2017 travel goals because we wanted to provide a service. We want to help you achieve your travel dreams this year. We got a lot of different responses, super interesting ones, and we are just going to head right to it. Yeah. So our first comes from Andrew, who, when I asked... What is your 2017 travel goal? Answered, escape to Mars. (laughs) Now, I believe this was meant as a joke. But perfectly valid. A perfectly valid one. And he was also okay with going to the moon or anywhere, really, that was out of the stratosphere. And this got us thinking, can it be done? We are tackling space travel. Uh, Kathy, what have you found out about space travel for Andrew?
0: I found out that there are three main, well, I found three main Mm -hmm. um, companies who are, they want you to put the money up front, but you're not allowed to travel into space yet. So the first one is Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic. It is $250,000. You have to pay it up front when you apply. And I looked into the application and it seems pretty, pretty simple. This seems more like a Soho house or a... I
1: agree. I also looked into it, and it definitely seemed that it was more an exclusive
0: country club that takes place in space (laughs) than anything else. (laughs) Instead of inquiring about your health or your experience, some of the questions are, what are your motivations to go to space? What element of membership of the Virgin Galactic Future Astronauts excites you? What do you hope to bring to the community? And do you have an existing member of the Virgin Galactic Future Astronauts to support your application? Now, they're big on diversity. They
1: keep going on and on about how they want all these different perspectives to go to space. But that last question on the application makes me think that they're just going to perpetuate the same socioeconomic divides that rule us right now. But a for effort,
0: yes, yes, and for making a very accessible application. True, true. I feel like I could apply if I had two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Exactly. The next company I found was Space Adventures Limited, which is in Washington D.C. with a satellite office in Moscow. It was founded in nineteen ninety-eight, and it's its star um, that that they are promoting or were promoting as like on their roster of going to space is Sarah Brightman. Oh. The ex-wife of Andrew Lloyd Webber and a a world-class soprano. Yeah, (laughs) with the voice of an angel. (laughs) And she bailed in 2015. She said she no longer wanted to go. Well, now I no longer want (laughs) to go. Think of that, like flying through space with Sarah Brightman singing to you. Yeah. That sounds like it's the classy version of Virgin Galactic. Exactly. I think. Mm -hmm. And then I found um, X-Core. And they have um, a link on their application that says book your flight. And then it's like name, email address, phone number. So it's not really an application. Yeah. Um, according to their last press release, they have undergone a price increase from $100,000 to $150,000.
1: Now I know it's not accessible. Right?
0: <laughs> The thread that I found in in these was that most of the press, like all the press releases and the news stories, ended around 2015. Yeah, I found a
1: few in 2016, mostly at the beginning of the year, indicating that 2016 was the year where space travel was really going to take off. This has not happened. Right. <laughs> but there are a few developments that make me wonder if we might see more of it in the upcoming years. First of all, there's a ton of these like startup magnet dudes that are putting a lot of money behind these kind of companies like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. So I think they probably know more than we do and are just not releasing it to the public. Also, I think the idea is that once these super expensive flights start to take place, the price will, will decrease until it becomes accessible for the middle class, if you will. For those of us who are not land space. Exactly, <laughs> or who don't have connections to, to the Virgin community. <laughs> and this is kind of what happened with airline travel when it first started. I think an important distinction to note, though, is that when we think of space travel, we tend to think of orbital space travel, which is what astronauts do. They get to completely leave Earth They're out in space, they're heading close to the moon, and what a lot of, and I think all three companies, but I might be wrong, I know for sure two of them, what they are proposing is what is called suborbital orbital travel, which is nearly 50 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. Now, this is enough to experience weightlessness and to take really cool pictures on Instagram, but it's not the same as completely leaving the stratosphere. So those are goals for the future. Since we are all in desperate need of leaving. But Andrew, there you have it. There are a few options of going away. As long as you pay up front.
0: Yeah, so start saving up for the $250,000 fee. So the next question is from our friend Erica, who wants to know how to get more vacation time at work. So I have a few tips
1: from this. The first one is to know exactly what your vacation policy is and to make sure that it is being applied correctly. And I say this because this week, a friend of mine at work who has been in the company for over five years realized that she was still on the old vacation time policy for employees, that are working less than five years, which gave her only 15 days, as opposed to the 20 days she was entitled to. No. Yes. And now we think this is all an honest mistake, but this is why you have to be on top of your stuff, guys, (laughs) because your company will not look out to make sure that everything is going correctly. So That is my tip number one. My tip number two is that the best time to get more time at work is when you're applying for a new job and to use it as a negotiation tactic.
0: I have never tried that, but I've heard it (laughs) used with great success. Or I think that you could offer to swap out, if you're going that route, offer to swap out some of your salary for paid time off. Yeah, it's an option that I didn't
1: know existed until I also started hearing from people at work that instead of getting more money when they accepted the job, they actually got more vacation time because that was easier for the company to swallow than, you know, thousands of dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are at work and you don't plan on switching soon and the vacation policy is being applied to you correctly, you have a few things you might be able to work out. One is to simply ask nicely. (laughs) That's also on my list. Yeah. (laughs) And what experts suggest is to present evidence that vacation can either raise your productivity or can help in terms of like mental
0: stress and anxiety.
1: You know, always frame it as what you're doing will benefit the company in the long run.
0: And I've also had people at my job who ask for time off, but they're willing to take it unpaid. If it's that important to you that you need that vacation, then take it unpaid. Yeah, and see
1: also if there's any sort of policy that allows for sabbaticals, things of that nature. They will probably be unpaid, but again, as Kathy said, if what you really want is just the time off,
0: then, you know, explore. Lean in. Lean in mm-hmm. so Lean you can in. get out. <laughs> um, and there are companies like Morningstar, which is a financial services company, every four years of continuous employment, they give their employees six, a six-week paid sabbatical. If you're applying for jobs, it's right on their website. Look for stuff like that.
1: Wait, what company is this? Morningstar. Do they require a, a friendly podcaster? Yes. <laughs> with no marketable skills a po- whatsoever. A podcasting
0: team. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> We're gonna look into that now. <laughs> So that is for Erica, hopefully you can find a few options there. Now, our friend Sarah has a two-parter, one, she wants tips on how to plan more weekend trips throughout the year, and she also wants to know of any kid-friendly locations.
0: How to plan more weekend trips? I, since she's asking for kid-friendly, I Mm -hmm. don't know if I'm qualified to speak to that, because if I want to take a weekend trip, I just go.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually one of my 2016 travel goals, was to take at least one trip every month, even if that trip was just a day trip or a small weekend trip. And other than July and August, I actually succeeded in doing that. And what helped me, which maybe might help her, is to actually plan it and I know this sounds really lame but every month I had to look and see what weekend I did not have anything I had not committed to anything I didn't have anything planned already and before my schedule filled up I blocked that out and said this is the weekend where I go away That, to me, is key and vital, because if not, all your weekends will end up getting filled up with stuff that doesn't matter or isn't
0: as important as
1: weekend trips.
0: And if you have kids, plan around the school holidays. Yes. That is a definite bonus for children. Yeah. (laughs) Now, in terms of kid-friendly
1: locations... Neither of us have kids, so Sarah, take this with a grain of salt and we apologize if we say something that's totally boneheaded. But I was thinking of what I enjoyed as a child. And I enjoyed anything beach related, which won't help you because you live in Miami, but throwing that out there. And two, anything that had a bit of education with theme park. So I actually suggest Washington, D.C., with a side trip to Colonial Williamsburg and Bush Gardens. Oh. Because I really enjoyed D.C. as a kid, especially the Air and Space Museum. Uh, Colonial Williamsburg is just a trip in itself. And then Bush Gardens is a theme park and an amusement park. And, you'll, you know, you have rides and water slides and all that stuff. And it's also why I recommend Philadelphia with a side trip to Hershey, Pennsylvania, where you can tour the Hershey Chocolate Factory and then go to the Hershey Amusement Park. As for international travel, I just got back from Costa Rica, and I saw a lot of families traveling there with younger children, which makes me think there's probably a lot of activities. You know, horseback riding, zip lining,
0: animals galore. Kids love that crap. Those are my suggestions. My suggestions are (laughs) water parks. Yes. Especially since they're all indoors now. It's something for everyone. (laughs) Uh, We live close to the Wisconsin Dells, which has a million indoor water parks that didn't exist when I was a kid growing up, but that's also a nice way to spend a weekend with a kid. And it feels like a getaway, I guess, because you're in a lazy river. Yeah. <laughs> you're uh, surrounded by water. <laughs> right. I also recommend any national or state parks, partially for the learning aspect and partially for the running around aspect. Mm-hmm. I feel like National parks have really gotten a big push because it's their, their 100th anniversary. But state parks are often overlooked, like go have a picnic, go hike a trail, an easy trail with your kids. I'm all for getting outside, especially if you live in Miami where it's warm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And I think the main goal here is to tire your kid out so much
1: that he or she is in bed by 6 p.m. and then you can just have a glass of wine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Jennifer has asked us for advice uh, about solo trips. Yes. And our first advice would be to continue listening to this podcast (laughs) and subscribe if you haven't already. And Inez and I are big proponents of solo travel, whether it's like she was mentioning day trips or weekend trips or more extensive itineraries. Where's the best place for solo travel? I would say anywhere in the U.S. Like more big cities, I think. Where there's yeah. stuff to do. New York City would be fun on your own. Chicago is fun on your own. I love Japan for solo travel because if you screw up, everybody's so nice and you're so much bigger than everybody that they have, <laughs> they have no choice to help you. And their inter their, um, intercountry transit system is extensive. You can take a train wherever you need to go so you don't have to rely on cabs or renting a car or any of that. It's very easy to get around.
1: Yeah, solo travel is something that I think we touch upon pretty much in almost every episode, or at least if we can wiggle it in there somehow. And I was thinking of ways that my friends who don't have as much experience traveling alone have used to kind of encourage them to do it. And I think a lot of them have looked for retreats or courses or some sort of group program an activity at the beginning of a trip so that they can get comfortable in their surroundings and then later use, you know, a few extra days at the end to venture out on their own. So if what you're worried about or what's holding you back is fear, I think that would be my one of my suggestions. You know, look for a writing retreat or a yoga course or a cooking class or something that you can do with people for the first few days. And then you'll realize that you're
0: comfortable, that you've got this, and you'll go out and explore on your own. I was, I'm was i also a big fan of cooking classes just because you're required to interact with people. You're doing an activity by virtue of being there with these people. You have a similar interest. And it's really easy after you're cooking with someone for a day to be like, hey, do you want to grab a drink? So all the activities Inez suggested are also great ways to make friends if you're just trying to find a bridge from traveling with people to pursuing solo travel.
1: Moving on, Claire wants to go somewhere warm this winter, but that does not have Zika. Oh, Zika. (laughs) Oh, Zika indeed. I have a few
0: options. Yeah. Let's start with the U.S. first. Sure. So I have Austin, Texas, although Zika was just, a few cases of Zika was, um, Found in Brownsville, Texas, which is on the border with Mexico. So look for developments there. Arizona is Zika-free. California. Hawaii, um, if you can call that domestic. So those are my U.S. picks. Yeah.
1: I also had Hawaii as a U.S. pick, and this isn't the U.S., but it's really close. Bermuda actually doesn't have Zika yet, and it might as well be the Caribbean anyway.
0: Well, I guess Bermuda has, has had some cases, but they've all been imported. They don't; Their mosquitoes are not carrying Zika yet. <laughs> In terms of
1: international travel, uh, the Mediterranean European coast seems to be free of it so far. So Portugal, Spain, Croatia are all
0: options. I had, they were looking for, um, an article was talking about baby moons, and they're like, go to Ibiza. And I was like, for a baby moon? Interesting choice. Yes. <laughs> so um, the islands off of Spain, Ibiza, Mallorca, Minorca, those yep. are also good options. Malta, which is in the Mediterranean. Dubai, if you're into gold bars being dispensed from ATMs. Who it? Who isn't? Yeah, I bet they're all the Virgin Galactic astronauts.
1: That's exactly, <laughs> that's where they're coming from.
0: <laughs> Australia, South Africa, Uruguay, Chile... So, head to South America. Yeah, and a few things about Zika. Now, I am not a
1: doctor, so take this with a grain of salt, and do not sue me if you happen to get infected. (laughs) But the main worry for Zika is really just towards pregnant women and women that are trying to get pregnant, If that is not the case for you, Zika isn't really that bad. It basically just feels like a terrible allergy attack or a bad flu. And it's to the point where doctors won't even test you for it because the testing is kind of complicated and expensive and you will survive it. So if you're not trying to get pregnant, you should be okay. And just remember to practice safe sex all the time, but especially eight weeks after you've been in a Zika infested country. And most
0: people don't even know they have Zika it's when true. they get it. Yeah. So Yes, good advice. Yeah. Doctor, not doctor, Inez. Yeah,
1: almost doctor. I almost got a PhD in nothing that has to do with health. So, again, these are all the
0: legal disclaimers ever. So the next one is from Bruno. How to journal when you travel? I have this goal, too. I love reading my old travel journals when I'm not cringing, um, but... It's something I never follow through on. Don't know if I just need to be more intentional or do less stuff. I always get tired. When I get back to my place after I travel, I'm just too exhausted to journal. But then I always wish I did, especially when people ask me for recommendations and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty good journal keeper in general. And Bruno mentions, you know, he doesn't do journals on his day-to-day life, but he does want to do one when... You travel, And it's really hard to start a writing practice if you don't have one before. But here are a few things that I do that help me. So the first is you have to pick a time when you're likely to be quiet and alone, but still have energy in you. That's different for everyone. But for me, that's usually the morning, even when I'm traveling with friends, because everyone is super busy getting ready. And that's usually when I can sneak off somewhere and just have like a cup of coffee and write. The second thing I'm pretty adamant about is you need something that is pen and paper. Technology can fail at all times if you're using the internet for journaling, more than likely, or not more than likely, but there's a high chance that the Wi-Fi might not work, it's weird, you know, it's slow or whatever it is, and all these things will thwart your ability to journal, so...
0: Also, technology is attractive to thieves So it would be terrible (laughs) if you were journaling on your laptop And it got stolen I don't think thieves are very attracted to pens and paper No, no one
1: Literally no one cares about the written word anymore (laughs) Except for you My third tip is to play around with the form. Journals don't have to be a dear diary situation. You can write haikus. You can draw. You can collage. You can simply write a list of everything you did that day. You can... You know, write a postcard to yourself and send it and have that be your travel journal. What I try to do when I journal while traveling is that I just pick one significant thing or one thing I really want to remember and write about that because trying to you know, write down every single thing you do can get daunting and it can get monotonous. So those were my tips for Bruno. Good (laughs) tips. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Our friend Warren also has an interesting question. And I'm actually going to read his out loud because I found it kind of endearing. One of my things is before I travel, I don't cut my hair so that when I get to my destination, I can have it cut by a local barber. I had the best haircut in my life in a small room in Ocho Rios. However, when you don't speak the native language, you can run into a bit of trouble, like I did while in Cancun. So how do you go by enjoying a new place that's not always a tourist activity, despite a language barrier?
0: Well, Warren, I also enjoy cutting my hair in foreign locations. (laughs) I I think it's from living in rural Asia, where whenever I would go to a big city, where they could do highlights on people with brown hair, <laughs> um, I would just get them done. And then it kind of turned into a cool thing. My, my stylist in Japan would alternately address me as Meg Ryan or Cameron Diaz. So that also was quite um, an ego boost. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my advice uh, is to always keep it light when you're dealing with someone in and you don't speak their language, laugh a lot because it's universal people Yeah. <laughs> um, use your gestures point. But I find that the universal, the thing that unites the universe is food. You can always tell if, if someone how they feel about what they're eating. Communal dinners really bond you to people, I guess, even if you don't speak their language. I wandered off from a tour group in Vietnam one time and met some girls at a fruit stand and they did not speak English, but we really enjoyed each other's companies like them letting me sample different fruits and telling me the name in Vietnamese and, you know, exchanging information, like basic information, like how old are you, you know, where are you from without actually having to speak each other's language. And then a school teacher happened upon us and led me around her one room school and um, showed me all her books and stuff like that, and that was a really nice experience. The school teacher spoke really great English, but the initial contact was made without any mm-hmm. language at all, so it was it was awesome. I think
1: that's a great tip because I was actually stumped by this question. I don't know if I'm as adventurous as either you or Kathy when it comes to language barriers. It might, It helps that I'm fluent in two languages, so I think... When English doesn't work for me Spanish might and sometimes I can like go to French and patch things up but it also means that when all those three things fail I just give up so I actually have no idea how to deal with actual language barriers and I just love the idea of going to a to see a stylist or do something very local as a way of experiencing a trip you actually gave me a travel tip yourself. Warren. I know, and Kathy, too, since she seconded it. It's like, well, now I have to try this when I travel. Yeah.
0: I think it's easier for dudes. With ladies, it can backfire.
1: Yeah. so <laughs> I have to make sure I'm not emotionally attached to my hair at that
0: point. Right. That is, yeah. that is my disclaimer for you. Yeah. As someone who has had orange hair and yeah. had to pretend to like it.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Warren is also
1: planning on going to Japan this year and he wanted tips on how to survive long airplane rides, which I actually do know a bit about. So if your flight is in the morning, honestly just don't sleep the night before, (laughs) you'll get to the airplane and you will completely pass out. I would say drink a glass of wine too to help with the sleeping. But if none of that is available or you simply can't sleep, make sure you have downloaded a lifetime's worth of entertainment on all your technology device. You cannot trust airplanes to do this for you. Sometimes they don't have individual screens. Sometimes they don't have screens at all, which has happened to me quite a bit. Sometimes
0: the screens are broken and they just tell you you're shit out of luck.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the
0: only movie that they're playing on the loop is something terrible like... I, I'm gonna say I'm a big fan of early Adam Sandler, but late Adam Sandler.
1: Yes, late Adam Sandler <laughs> movies. Uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding two, not, <laughs> not the not the not the good one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And in terms of just your body, try to stand up and, and walk to the bathroom every few hours. If you're walking up and down the aisle, Homeland Security will have an issue with you probably. So, so make it look like you have a purpose, but make sure you stretch.
0: My mantra for long plane rides is hydrate and sanitize. So I always bring a water bottle with me. I keep it empty as I go on the plane because if you give it to the flight attendants, they will fill it for you happily because that saves them some work of having to make sure that you have water by sanitize i i should probably just wear a hazmat suit but (laughs) wipe down your tray table wipe down the screen check your seat for used kleenexes and other treasures that people have left there my guys come on i know (laughs) it's so gross yeah for moisturizing, I this is like my unpaid product endorsement, I recommend Trader Joe's Head to Toe Moisturizing Balm. It comes in a tin, it is a balm, so you get around the liquid requirements. It smells really good, it's got lavender, orange, and rosemary, so it kind of perks you up. And I use it on my lips, my hands, my elbows, my knees, it's good for flyaway hair, and it weighs nothing, so you just throw it in your bag. I'm kind of obsessed with hydration. Um, And I'm considering bringing, like, those Korean face masks Yeah. (laughs) um, on my next flight, but that might be a TSA issue if you're masked.
1: (laughs) I like how Kathy just turns the airplane into a spa. Yeah,
0: and (laughs) I I bring my, like, slippy socks. I bring my really nice slippy socks with grippers on the bottom and my eye mask. And I also bring earplugs, a scarf, because those are much cleaner than the blankets you will get. Um, and I read a tip online that some people make scarf tents if they have—this <laughs> If you, this is kind of lame. If you have an empty row, I'm like, who has an empty row these days? No one. Right. But, but okay. if you do, make a scarf tent. I'm big, a big proponent of snacks. I love Trader Joe's for their individually portioned trail mixes and stuff like that because my nightmare—I get super hangry, like super, super hangry. Um, And my nightmare is being stuck on the tarmac for hours without anything to eat, and I would kill someone. Um, (laughs) To eat them. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Comfy clothes, that kind of goes without saying. Skinny jeans, cut off your circulation, and you get, you retain water when you fly. So not only are you, will you have numb legs, (laughs) but you will have legs that are encased like sausages in your jeans. Neck pillows for me are a hit or miss. Like, I have a very delicate neck. <laughs> so a lot of them are too big, and they just prop my head up way too high so that I'm actually sitting more upright than I normally would and not in a good way. Another trick trick I like to do is to take your gross blanket, and you roll it up into a log shape, and I always put it in the small of my back so I have lumbar support. And you can also do that with your pillow, ideally – I do the blanket in the small of my back, in my my C-spine, and um, then the pillow um, on my neck.
1: I am impressed by Kathy's (laughs) setup. My tip was basically like booze and numb away the pain. (laughs) These are much healthier. Listen to her. So anyways, Lauren, we wish you much luck on your travels, and I'm excited to hear about it. I'm excited to hear about what crazy haircut you get in Japan. Me too. You
0: better come back with some, like, Goku action. They know how to cut hair. (laughs) Yeah. So our next question is from Samina Mustafa, who was featured, if you go back a few episodes, at our Season 2 launch party, Yeah. um, who is an awesome lady and wants to know about traveling to Cuba. It's still, even though we're getting there, it is still technically illegal for U.S. citizens to travel to Cuba for tourism only. You have to fall into one of 12 categories, and those categories are family visits, government business, journalism, professional research and meetings, educational activities, religious activities, public performances, Clinics, workshops, athletic, or other competitions and exhibitions. Support for Cuban people. Humanitarian projects. Activities of private foundations. Exportation, importation, (laughs) or transmission of information and informational materials. Certain authorized export transactions. There you go. Or you can just go to Cancun or Canada and fly (laughs) to Cuba and have them stamp your... Your visa card instead of your passport and that works too and uh, like anecdotally again disclaimer not not a government official not telling you what to do but anecdotally people really don't check go nuts
1: most american travelers usually just choose educational when they decide to go to cuba and Basically, the assumption is that you will be doing one thing every day to educate yourself about the Cuban culture. This can include things like uh, going to museums or taking a cooking class or something very, very touristy in and of itself. And it's mostly done on the honor system right now. Again, the risk you take is your own, all the disclaimers, blah, blah, blah.
0: (laughs) In terms of accommodations... They have a couple of hotels which are pretty expensive, but if you're a budget traveler, you can stay in casas particulares, which are basically home stays. But the big news is Airbnb now operates in Cuba. What? Yes. The airlines that fly there, there are I think 12, 10, 12 more every day. So we have the ones that fly now are American, Frontier, JetBlue, Silver, and on the docket for 2017 are Southwest, Sun Country, United, Spirit, Alaska, and Delta. The ones that
1: are flying now, at least from American Airlines, you can buy the tickets online. You are required to buy Cuban health insurance, but that is usually added on your airplane ticket anyways, and you also need a visa in order to go. Now, if you book your ticket more than a month in advance, you'll be contacted by Cuba Travel Services, which is a company that I think think is either owned or at least is you know sanctioned or whatever by the Cuban government they'll contact you and they can arrange the visa if you don't do it before you leave you can
0: also get a visa at the
1: Cuban airport but it's more expensive
0: yeah I think it's 50 bucks that's I believe that's what I read at the airport at the airport yeah Yeah. I think it's 20 if you do it in advance
1: and then one thing to note is that you will probably have to pay for everything in cash (laughs) Cash, 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 even accommodations, even if your hotel is kind of luxurious and fancy. There, at least from what I read, there are only two credit cards that can be used in Cuba and you definitely don't have them. One is like from Puerto Rico and the other one is from some bank I've never heard of in my life. I don't think there
0: are any ATM machines in there. So make sure you make it rain. So technically they say that credit cards and debit cards are accepted, but currently they do not have the infrastructure to support it, as Inez said. Yeah. Another thing about money is if you, if you have the means, mm-hmm. um, use euros or Canadian dollars to exchange for Cuban, what is a Cuban currency? It's a C- Fissile, I think. Yeah, I know the abbreviation is C-U-C, because if you try to change U.S. dollars, you're docked 13% for trying to convert them.
1: And this is kind of more anecdotal, but I do have several friends who have gone to Cuba since Peru does not have an embargo and Peruvians are freely allowed to go in and out of Cuba. And the two things they've mentioned is one, it is very expensive. I don't know if that has changed, but everyone was actually shocked as to how expensive things were. It is not a budget destination by any means because tourism is one of Cuba's main sources of income, so they're going to try to get it all it's worth. And unfortunately, this means that they also had to deal with a lot of street vendors kind of coming up to them and just in general, huge insistence of the Cuban people, you know, asking them to either buy things or give them things, etc. I don't know if this has changed since things are opening up and it seems that the economy is somewhat getting better, whatever better means in Cuba, but... um, But I guess just be aware that it is a country that is still going through some like terrible, terrible economic strains, and that will probably be reflected.
0: And if you just want to make it easy on yourself, (laughs) you can take a cruise in twenty seventeen. Carnival Cruise Lines is launching Fathom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I already hate the name. I I hate it.
0: What are we fathoming? Yes. (laughs) So Fathom will will provide transportation and will dock. In Cuba. And it goes without saying that due to
1: certain political events, including but not limited to the death of Fidel Castro and the election of Donald Trump, this might all change. So,
0: you know, keep your eyes on the news. However, Donald Trump, I'm sure he's eager to cash in on the hotel market in Cuba. So I just want to say Trump Hotel coming to Havana soon. Disclaimer, that's speculation, but you know it's going to happen.
1: Oh man, my stomach just turned. This episode is sponsored by Cider Box. (laughs) What's Cider Box? Cider Box is a subscription service. They deliver hard-to-find American fine cider right to your door. Each month, they spotlight a single maker, they visit them at their orchard, they learn about how they make
0: cider, and then they ship the bottles directly to your home. You can pick the size that works for you. Three bottles, a half case of six bottles, or a full case of 12 bottles. Now, Inez and I are both single ladies, so you'd think we'd pick the three... But let's be realistic. We need the 12. Right? Each bottle is 750 milliliters, which, in case you didn't know, is a full-size wine bottle. And the cool thing is that most of these ciders cannot be
1: found outside their region. So if you want to learn more about cider and how Ciderbox can make your life
0: better, (laughs) go to Ciderbox.com. Note, there's no E in cider, just sparkly, fruity goodness. C-I-D-R-B-O-X dot com so we had a lot
1: of uh requests and tips of different travel destinations and kathy and i you know think that any of these destinations are worthy of one or two podcast episodes so we're just going to give you our top one or two tips for each one so italy never been oh okay i have so and this is specifically for rome number one you're going to want to go and to a restaurant called Pietro Valentini, which specializes in truffle-based dishes. It Ooh. is delicious, and it is amazing. And number two, I highly recommend a private tour guide from Alan Epstein. And actually, can I share the story of how I got this private tour guide? Ooh, do tell, because it is amazing. So I was traveling with my ex and his family at the time and we were staying in a very beautiful boutique hotel. I'm in my room when all of a sudden my ex turns to me and says, my mom just texted me to tell you that one of the actors from Mad Men is on the rooftop having a drink. What? Now, Mad Men is one of my favorite, favorite shows of all time. And immediately my mind went to Don Draper. And I told my ex at the time, if it's Don Draper, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have my way with him and you're just going to have to deal with it. And <laughs> and you wonder why I loved it and laughed. But he said, I don't think it is. And I and I, he didn't watch the show, so he couldn't really tell me who it was. But we rushed upstairs to the rooftop where his parents were sitting at a table. And right next to that table was the actor who played Sal on Mad Men. Now, for those of you who have watched Mad Men, Sal is actually the closeted gay art director who ends up being cut out, I think, in season two or three. He was also one of my favorite characters. We all kept our cool for a while, and we were just kind of talking about, like, oh, what should we do the next day, blah, 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 when all of a sudden Sal from Mad Men interrupts our conversation to say, I had the greatest tour guide, and I think you guys should use him. And we were all like, oh, bye, please tell, as if we weren't all collectively losing our shit at the moment. And he was the one that recommended Alan Epstein to us. So he gave us his info. He said how much he loved it. And then after a while, we couldn't resist. And we said how much we loved Mad Men. And we talked with him for a good hour and took a million pictures. And he was the nicest man in the world. He was with his partner, who was also fabulous. And that is my favorite meeting a famous person story on a trip ever.
0: Wow. (laughs) I'm so glad that poor, tragic Sal, the character, has an an exciting and fulfilling real life. I know. It's kind of how I like to think that Sal's character ended. You know, that
1: after being, like, you know, kicked out from the agency, he just went off to Rome, found himself a beautiful boyfriend, and lived the life. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's what I want for Sal, too.
1: Yes. (laughs) So those are my trips from Rome. London.
0: I haven't been, but I do have a few tips,
1: but let's talk to Kathy, who has been.
0: <laughs> I have been uh, two times, but I've always been... I have an expert tour guide, which would be... <laughs> which you probably could pay her, and she would take you around, too. But it's a friend who lives in England, so I've always been... It's one of those cities where I've always been led around to do mm. fascinating things, and I'm like, I don't have to think. Yeah. So I know we had drinks on at the bar on top of the Shard... Which was very interesting. Um, we saw, this is going to sound so like basic and touristy, but it was really cool. We saw the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. which was um, just by chance. So that was pretty interesting. And I don't know, we do all sorts of cool stuff I can't think of right now. Or maybe I don't <laughs> want to tell you. <laughs>
1: A friend of mine from work, who I follow on Instagram, just went to London, and I was stalking her Instagram profile to see what caught my eye. And there were two places, both of them food-related, obviously. And one was uh, Balan Soho Society, which seems to have a pretty strong brunch game going on. And the other one is Sketch, which apparently is a tea parlor that later turns into a cocktail bar, and it's totally pink. The whole thing is pink, so wow. I thought those were places to check out.
0: Check them out and let me know if you like them. Yeah. (laughs) Next, Amsterdam. Never
1: been. I have, but a million years ago, um, I remember enjoying two things very much, both under the influence of a ton of pot. One, the Dali Museum, and two, the Museum of Sex. Um, I can't be objective
0: about either of those, because again, under a ton of pot, but I had a great time. (laughs) Wow, it does sound like the perfect pot Enhanced experiences
1: yes. <laughs> so, Mexico I've only been to Cancun And it
0: doesn't count So, Kathy? Alright I have been I did a girls weekend In Puerto Vallarta Which was fun It's it's I haven't been in a while either And it's hard To discuss it In terms of our current Political climate mm. I love Mexico City I love it so much It's an artsy city It's like a billion people you get to see like Frida Kahlo's house and Diego Rivera's murals, and I love Mexico City. Great food. I did not feel threatened at all, probably because there were all these men with um, semi-automatic machine guns <laughs> guarding the street. But my brother just went recently. He went after the election, and he had a completely different story. He said there were a bunch of protesters protesting Donald Trump. People would yell things at him and harass him if they saw him speak or heard him speak English. And he kind of sticks out to you. He's like very American. And a homeless guy chased him and his co workers yelling like nonsense stuff about Donald Trump. Well, they thought it was nonsense. They assumed it was nonsense. I don't know, maybe he could have been making some very valid points. <laughs> um, I really don't know how I feel about Mexico right now. I want to believe I can go there and still have a good time and yeah. and be safe, but I don't know, maybe that's more me than Mexico.
1: I don't know. I mean, I like to think that maybe right now everyone is on high anxiety, so these things will probably calm down, and who knows? I mean, if anyone knows that... The government isn't the same as the people. It's Latin American countries.
0: Right. Our presidents always suck. Right.
1: <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully that will stop in Mexico.
0: Um, I did get to go to Day of the Dead in Mexico City, which I highly recommend. Uh, it was so fun. And it's a family thing. Like, it's not... It's not a bunch of hoodlums hanging out eating sugar skulls. (laughs) Um, It's just families and the kids come up and they try to trick-or-treat. You're supposed to give the money, which I didn't know at at the time. Um, The little girls dress up as La Llorona. Um, I saw a little boy dressed up as Michael Jackson, which, like, props to you, kid. You or your parents. And you see the intricate altars, the ofertas, which is just... It blew me away. It's in the Zocalo, the main square, and it takes up the whole thing. And they're just so elaborate and beautiful. And it was such a wonderful atmosphere. And I didn't feel uncomfortable at all going there because my my friends, who are Mexican-American, had warned me I should not be walking around Mexico City by myself, which, you know, is fair. But the lady at my hotel told me it was—the concierge told me it was fine. And it was a 10-minute walk. So take that with a grain of salt. You know, I know my experience is not everybody's, but if you have a chance to go to the Day of the Dead in any Mexican city, I would highly recommend it.
1: Singapore. Which I have not been to. Nor have I. But I did look (laughs) to see what I would like to see if I were to go to Singapore. And these were the two things that stood out. One is Singapore has a huge Ferris wheel called the Singapore Flyer, and it's apparently the world's largest observation wheel. So that will probably give you some pretty cool views. And I also would like to see the last remaining Kampong. Hopefully that's how you pronounce it. You know, Singapore is a super modern skyscraper type city now, but before it just, it mostly used to be um, a collection of houses on stilts. And there's one remaining neighborhood that is still like that. So those are probably the two things I would try not to miss out if I were to go to Singapore.
0: Um, My brother also went to Singapore. I have not been. You can conquer it in two or three days. My brother had a day. He was on a layover and I was so proud of him because he's not... Well, now he's kind of a super traveler, but at the time he, he wasn't, and he would text me and be like, I did this, 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 and this. I went back and changed my shirt because it was super humid. Mm-hmm. And then I went and did these six things. So I can't remember which things he told me, but um, there's a night market, <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a food, food market, like, um, what is it? Spicy crabs. That's the famous thing you get at the food market. I'm sure there, there are other people who could speak to this more eloquently <laughs> than I am right now. But if you have Singapore tips, let us know.
1: (laughs) And finally, the last one, and dearest to my heart, Peru, or Peru, (laughs) as it is pronounced in English. Now, I obviously have been there and lived there and traveled there extensively, but Kathy has too. Woo! Yeah, so Kathy, as a foreigner, what were your top tips
0: for be? That altitude sickness is no joke. Mm. People... You know, that's the number one thing you're warned about in Peru, and people tend to not take it as seriously as they should. You should. It's going <laughs> to knock you on your butt for a couple days. I found the Peruvian people, I only went um, to Cusco and on the Inca Trail, and then, well, not the Inca Trail, but the, you know, to Machu Picchu and then over to Puno. I found the people to be lovely and helpful and super proud of their country. And I would love to go back and explore more of it.
1: Yay! She's only saying that because I'm, like, threatening her right now. <laughs> Help. Yeah. No. Um, and as a local, there are two things. One is I highly recommend staying in Lima for two or three days and just eating. We have the most exciting food scene of all of South America, for sure. And we even have... I think at this point, four restaurants in the top 50 restaurants of list of the world. So, And she's not just saying that. Like she has journalistic evidence to back her up. Oh yeah, you can like, you can fight me over this. <laughs> I will win. <laughs> so that's my number one advice. And then number two, uh, definitely go to Cusu and Machu Picchu because it's worth seeing. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. But there's a ton to see in Peru. So if you like beaches, we have that. If you like jungle, we have that. Colonial crap, have it. Desert, have it. mountains, cities, etc. We have everything. It's Yay. true. <laughs> yeah, I think we should probably do a Peru episode soon. We should. I have to yeah. go back. I know, <laughs> you should. <laughs> and I'm going back in the holiday, so maybe I'll come back with some new tips and
0: info. Yeah. Yeah. We got several other questions that could be episodes in themselves. So we're just going to touch on these briefly. Our listener, Allison sent us this question when we asked for travel goals she submitted it on facebook Mm -hmm. um not quite a goal but a question how do you balance the desire to travel somewhere new versus the appeal of returning to somewhere where you've been and loved or somewhere where you have been but maybe didn't get to experience to the fullest and she's saying this because she's visited places when she was a poor poor peace corps volunteer Oh, I struggle with this. Me too. (laughs) I feel like we quantify everything. Like you look on uh, any travel blog and it's visited 512 countries, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I, I don't know. I feel like I have such limited time, I'd rather chance it on something new. But there are places close to my heart or places I haven't been in a long time that I would go back to in a second.
1: Yeah, I've almost... Decided to, how do I put this? I'm defeated by it. I've just decided to always opt for the new thing. And it doesn't always make me happy because there are places I really want to go to. But I think right now, at this point in my life, I'm still in the quantifying stage where I just want to knock things off my list. One thing that helps is that if I find an excuse to go back to a place I visited, then I'll try to take it. This usually happens when it comes to weddings or if a friend happens to move somewhere I've been before because then I can, like, I don't know. I guess I have an excuse to go back.
0: Yeah, there has to be a draw for a repeat trip. Like, London, my friends, I have really good friends who live in Oxford, so I know that I'm going to go see them and have an excuse to go back to London, and they know it really well, (laughs) which is better than me wandering around on my own. Yeah. And when
1: it comes to maybe a place I have visited before and I'm and I'm somehow there and maybe don't necessarily want to be there. This happens to me with Lima a lot. I try to add something new to it. You know, I try to go and see something I haven't seen before to make it feel like a whole new trip again. Hopefully we can tackle this in a longer episode. Just travel balance. Yeah. Mindfulness. I don't even know what to call it. So we're still mulling over it, but maybe, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone in the struggle. Right. We also received an email from Bernie, and she actually has a really interesting question. I have a huge goal for 2017, leaving my job, home, and friends to travel around the globe for a year. My biggest challenge is determining how I can travel with one year's worth of prescription medications. I have checked that they're not banned in any countries, but most seem to have limits of carrying only three months supply when entering. Coming from Australia, I certainly don't want to have to fly back home at any stage just for medication. So I would be interested in how other people have overcome this issue. Again, all the disclaimers in the world.
0: (laughs) We tried to get an official response. I did email Northwestern Memorial Hospital, but they will probably get back to us on Monday when we're (laughs) done recording this episode. So again, personal experience. If you get arrested for smuggling (laughs) insulin over the border, we can't bail you out. No,
1: but I have Googled and tried to find people that have had the same issue. And here may be some entry points. I also asked my doctor because I went to the doctor's office this week. Oh, smart. Yeah, (laughs) so there are two people you need to talk to about this matter. One is your doctor and number two is your insurance company. Now you're from Australia. I have no idea how the Australian health system works. Whoever takes care of your insurance, whether it's the government or a private company, you're going to want to talk to them and see what options they give you. There are a few things that I've seen people mention. First of all, is you want your doctor to write on an official, like write a letter on, with an official letterhead describing your condition, your history, the list of the prescriptions you take, and any generic names that those prescriptions might be under. You want to make sure you have copies of that, email them to yourself because these are the things that will get you out of trouble or if you're in a jam in another country. You also want to bring copies of your prescriptions, not the medicine itself, but the actual note prescribing something. Again, scan this, make sure you email it to yourself so that if you lose all these documents, you have a backup. You also want your doctor's contact information. The reason why I'm saying all this is because if you happen to be in a country and you run out or you lose your medication, the easiest thing you can do or at least it seems like the easiest thing you can do is to call your embassy. Embassies usually have a list of doctors that they recommend to their citizens and that are also used to dealing with foreigners and foreign travelers. Those doctors might be able to see you, they might be able to prescribe things for you, or they might at least be able to get in touch with your doctor so that your doctor approves them prescribing something to you and then you can pick it up in a pharmacy in that particular country. I believe you can also go to pharmacies and ask them to contact your doctor for you. I found this out when I thought I had forgotten my birth control pills in the United States while on a plane to Guatemala. Oh no. It turned out I didn't but basically what I found out through forums and things and asking around was that I could try and go to a Guatemalan pharmacy give them my doctor's info and have them contact my doctor. As for mailing, I actually don't know if it's legal. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, because that was the thing. I tried to see if FedEx or like DHL or someone would just allow like a friend or family member back home to to mail you these things. But it seems to be pretty controlled substances. Some people have done it with success. Others haven't. But again, we don't want to get you into legal trouble. So that's a risk that you may or may not want to take. And if the problem is your insurance, like your insurance just does not want to give you more than a month's worth or two months worth, you can call them and ask for a vacation lift. Under certain circumstances, they will allow more more medication to be given to a patient. Usually the doctors are fine with giving you, like, a year-long subscription. It's just the insurance companies that don't want to pay out for it.
0: Right, and I imagine that's especially true unless it's, like, opioids or something addicting. (laughs) Like, if you need—I'm just trying—I'm just throwing out names of stuff here. Um, I'm going to go back to insulin, which is not what she said. She did not specify. Right. But if you need your insulin, they know that you're not going to abuse it. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So, Bernie, we wish you luck, and if any listener out there has been in a similar situation and has tips on how to help Bernie out, please email them to us.
0: All right. So, our last one is Lauren who commented on our Facebook page. And this is I'm going to give you an abbreviated version of her her comments about travel goals. My travel goals for 2017 are as follows. Buy a one-way ticket to Mexico and slowly work my way through Central America, then to South America, then to Africa, the Middle East, and eventually India. I'm looking to volunteer, do workaway, or and woofing as I go, as well as working remotely online to earn money. I truly don't 100% feel like saving up tens of thousands of dollars, but I'm worried I will need to, even when I will be traveling someplace cheaper, and my accommodation as a workaway woofer and volunteer would likely be taken care of. She's traveled alone before, but never open-ended. She's concerned that she won't be able to do it or will become too burnt out, moving even as a slow traveler. She's not ready to settle down anywhere and has no idea what she's supposed to do with her life. Welcome to the club, Lauren. (laughs) And her work is pretty much all online. She's planning to live simply, earn enough to get by, see places and help people and eventually find a country to perhaps settle down in and teach English. Hopefully Asia. I know all this sounds ambitious and insane, but at this point in my life, I'm a bit lost. Have nothing to lose. Can't bear the nine to five in one place. Oh, it's Lauren! Like Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> we say that we say that sympathetically.
1: Yes, with love, with love. One, you know what I think is insane: being stuck in an office right. for forty hours a week, right? Years on end, and expect that to be called a life. I'm feeling very teenager-y, but yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot.
0: Well, I'm going to address her first. Her first question about burning out. Yeah. Here's the thing, Lauren. You can always go home. Um, My friend, Jessica Hernandez, who is my coworker, I recently discovered did an around-the-world trip. She started out with a friend. (gasps) Ooh. Yeah. When she was young and carefree, younger and carefree, and she got a job opportunity and had to cut it short, but the friend kept going and eventually decided she'd had enough and returned home. So you have you are in control. You have the option to make the trip as long or as short as you want and don't feel compelled like it's so easy to look at all these blogs and Instagrams and be like and see these people who are like, "Well, I've been tra- solo traveling for 4 years and it's the best thing ever." Yeah, whatever. Like that's them. You yeah. you do you. Yeah, I actually really like that
1: advice because I think With our hyper-capitalist, ambitious society, travel has become another thing to compete in, where you have to do it for the longest, the hardest, and take all the countries and go to all the cities. And travel shouldn't be that. It should be about fulfillment and satisfaction and learning something new. So if you are satisfied after a month and a half, I would consider that a success and not you giving up. And if it's been two years and you still feel like doing it, then that is awesome. and if you can figure out a way to keep going, then keep doing that. I don't think we should be stuck in the parameters that kind of society or even the travel blogging world has imposed on us' cause, cause dude, it's like we all we all just have one life to live, man. this isn't me being super great all right <laughs> And as for burned out i I have one very dear friend, Bobby, who took off with his girlfriend and traveled around Southeast Asia for five months. Now, if you ever meet Bobby, he is pretty much the most extroverted, life-of-the-party, go-go-go person in the world. And even he admitted to being burned out after a few months. And kind of what he would do to recover was to just stay in one place for a while, really chill, kind of get a daily routine back again until he had the energy to keep going. So I think that's also totally okay. Not everything in this trip is going to be spectacular. Right. I think, like, you just need to come to terms with that because it isn't the end life. Right. You'll have setbacks. You'll have things that are not cool. It will be disappointing. You might be bored, et cetera.
0: So temper your expectations. That yeah. would be another tip. <laughs> um, a third tip would be, I think, to really, you work remotely But you want to have a plan for working remotely, and you want to set, also set expectations with your company and your boss as to what they expect you to do. Like, do they think you're not going to be doing anything all day, so they think they would expect you to work more? Do they think of this as a temporary contract, or are you going to be an employee working remotely? So I would have a heart-to-heart with your supervisor and ensure that you two, or whoever, Um, you three are on the same page in terms of expectations for working remotely.
1: Yeah, and if the idea is that you'll quit that job but work remotely anyways, then make sure that you have a set schedule for yourself, you know, of when you will actually be working and where and when will it just be vacation time so that you don't let yourself just kind of only work or only you know hang out and chill and not make any money if that's a concern to you I think like just planning those out would be would be good as for feeling lost like maybe you are but is that such a bad thing sometimes we have those times in our life when we need to reassess and I don't know I think everything that comes with adulthood is sincerely overrated like I don't think buying a house gives you that much security. Being married doesn't give you security. Your job doesn't give you security because all these things can be taken away.
0: Right, and I, <laughs> our lives are curated yeah. by Facebook and Instagram, and it's hard to feel that you. It's hard to, it's hard to not feel that you have to compete that your life has to be as perfect as everyone else's uh, because no one's is no one's life is perfect like that. I highly recommend. The first episode of season two of um, Black Mirror.
1: Wait, season two or season three? Season three. Yeah. Season three. The one
0: with um, Bryce Dallas Howard as a woman who lives in a society where you rate everything. So you have to be faking nice to everyone. And the people with the higher ratings get better housing and just perks. So there's perks if you have a four-star social media profile. So I don't know. That both scared me and put a lot of things into perspective for me.
1: Yeah. One, everyone should watch Black Mirror. Yeah. (laughs) Two, it's so true. We get caught up in what's being posted in social media, and again, that is completely curated. And I don't know. I've kind of come into that that point in my adulthood where I really care less about what people expect of me because I have tried those paths and they have led me to nowhere except disappointment. So, if you're in that position, I say you do, just do you. Right. Yeah.
0: That seems to be the XX will travel mantra. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, just to finish off, then, we are going to talk about our own travel goals. What? Yeah. I don't know if I should start just because mine is very similar to Lauren's. And I've been, Kathy knows this, but I haven't shared it with the world <laughs> yet. But I've been saving up all last year and will continue to do so this year so I can actually run away from home for a bit. And I think at first, like Lauren, I was planning on doing a whole year and I've been cutting that length of time down in my head to where right now it's about four months. And there's many reasons for that. One of it is my dog. Part of it is because I just really like the community I have in Chicago and I don't want to abandon it completely. Part of it is money and part of it is just I don't know if I need that much time. I don't want to be burned out. But what I do want is extended period of time, tr- travel time, and to kind of put a complete reset button on my life because for the past five, six years, I've just kind of been on emergency mode due to certain personal and professional reasons. Other than the podcast and a few choice things, nothing that I have right now is anything that I'm particularly emotionally invested in. I just need to, like, clear my mind. So I'm with you, Lauren. We should meet up.
0: (laughs) But how about you, Kathy? Okay, so one of my travel goals, as you know, (laughs) Inez Inez and I love to travel. And nothing brings me more joy than bringing that experience to others. So yesterday, I booked three tickets on Iceland Air for my parents and me (laughs) to go to Iceland because you know Icelandair lets you lay over in in Reykjavik, to go to Iceland and then go to London. Oh, my God. I know. And so the reason we're going is because my friends who live in Oxford used to live in Wisconsin near my parents. We're really close, and then my friend Matthew's parents would always come visit, and they became close to my parents. Mm -hmm. Iceland, we're on our own. In England, we're going to be spending time with, with Matthew's parents and my friends Matthew and Josie. And it alternately makes me feel warm and fuzzy and also terrified.
1: <laughs> because of your parents? It's a week. It's oh. a week with
0: my parents. I don't, I think I'd be terrified to travel with anybody for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father and I both like to control things. It's going to be interesting. The planning is going to be interesting. Like I I don't know. We had a moment when we booked the tickets because we were trying to find the best deal. My dad found a better deal and we like did a high five over the phone. So it's like those moments make me think like it's going to be okay. Yeah. But other things, I'm like, that's a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of time. And fortunately in England, I think I, they're going to be staying with their friends and I'll stay with my friends. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to to seeing them in England, you yeah. know, and Iceland and my, my dad, Really, you know, the Iceland thing is what sold him, the fact that we could have a layover. So that was encouraging, but I don't know what we're going to do. We'll we'll yeah. see. I'm just, I'm planning. So if any Iceland tips, especially Iceland, Iceland on a budget, we're going to be there for four days. And I'm already freaked out, like, well, what are we going to eat? Because, like <laughs> like, a crappy meal in Iceland is 20 U.S. dollars, you know? So... Any budget-friendly tips for Iceland, send them to me. Yeah. And if you've traveled to Iceland with your parents or just your parents anywhere, please, you know, mm-hmm. send me words of encouragement and advice. So when is this happening? It's happening in March. Okay. So you, you guys have, a, have homework. We, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Before March, you need to send Kathy all your survival travel tips, whether it be surviving Iceland, which I'm sure is easy. Or surviving parents, which right. is a bit more difficult. And you've traveled with your parents, right? I have. I have traveled. I'm actually thinking this is a great podcast episode Me too. topic, so I won't so I won't go all out. But I think one thing to keep in mind at our age is that it is now time for us to be the grown ups in the relationships with your parents because my mom is actually pretty easygoing. She is a trooper. She likes everything. She eats anything. She's not high maintenance at all. But my dad has spent... well I don't know what spent. Let's put it that he's at a point in his professional life where everyone caters to him and he expects the world to do that as well. And he expects his children to do that as well. And I say this with great love. He's a very sweet man. But we just have to make sure he's kind of happy at all times so he doesn't ruin the trip for the rest of us kind of thing so kind of making sure he's comfortable at all times is a big part of of me traveling with my parents
0: is that a dad thing i think it might be a universal dad
1: thing i think it might be i mean we can go on about why it's a universal dad thing patriarchy etc 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 but but it seems to me that most people have Issues
0: traveling with dads, at least on just a comfort level, than with their mom. Right. And I'm not yeah. going to say I'm doing this trip for the podcast. Right. But I was like, this is going to be great material. Yeah. Like, <laughs> either I'm going to cry on air for the first time, retelling it, <laughs> or it's going to be awesome. So hopefully
1: somewhere in the middle. Yeah. We'll laugh. We'll cry. We'll get angry phone calls from our parents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any particular podcast goal? A particular podcast goal I would like to get more subscribers I think and I would like to invigorate our community of listeners Ooh. you have no <laughs> idea like how geeked Inez and I get when somebody comments on our Facebook page, especially when it's, like, someone we don't know or, like, retweets us or says something has been helpful to them. So I would love to figure out how to engage our listeners more. Do we need to go on a speaking tour? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I say yes. Yes. <laughs> so engage with us. We're, we're here to help. and yeah. And to commiserate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree. I would love to hear more from our listeners, whether that be feedback, travel stories, um, you guys commenting on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or anything like that. We really just want to serve you guys, so... I don't know. I almost want to say like more love from the podcasting community themselves. I'm kind of tired of seeing the same names over and over again. Yeah. (laughs) When it comes to who gets contacted about podcasts or for podcasts or podcast shout outs. So maybe that maybe not just invigorating our community, but also invigorating the independent podcast community. Yeah. Because now that it's popular, it's starting to get harder for the smaller people to make some noise. And we
0: love the smaller people. Yeah. We are the smaller people. <laughs>
1: yep. So I think that's all for for today. Um, wow, 2017. For everyone that we whose goals we talked about or mentioned, we'd love to hear updates. Yes, we would love to hear updates. <laughs> yeah. And in the meantime, though, please subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Podbean, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, head to our website, xxwilltravel.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Go forth and travel!
0: This week's episode was also sponsored by Girl Squad Tours. Hey ladies, have you always wanted to travel the world but couldn't find a travel buddy? Girl Squad Tours is an international travel company for women specializing in small, female-only group tours across the globe. They offer flexible payment plans, exciting itineraries, knowledgeable squad leaders, and so much more. Join them in April on a 10-day trip to London and Paris. Visit girlsquadtours.com to reserve your spot today, and use code GST Whale Travel to receive two hundred dollars off any recurring payment plan option.